Welcome to... It's not a rot! It's an... Articulate Warbling. Hosted by Zach Ferguson. Edited and produced at Badgerstrift Studio. If you enjoyed this podcast, please contact us at pgttcm.com so we can make more. And let us know. We would love to make more of this show for you. And here he is, Zach Ferguson. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 9 of It's Not A Rant, It's Articulate Warbling with me, your host and warbler, Zach Ferguson. Now today I shall be reviewing two films. The first will be Last Christmas, followed up swiftly by Bill Condon's, not Condon's, <laughs> uh, film The Good Liar starring Ian McKellen and Dame Helen Mirren. Sir Ian McKellen, oh, Sir Ian McKellen, oh, those hobbitses. Oh, the hobbit shit. I'm not lying. I'm a good liar. Boom, boom, Baggins! Yes, that, um... I am so sorry, uh, Sir Ian, if you ever hear this, uh... I was that fat, pudgy boy who kept asking you questions about, uh, The Hobbit when Guillermo del Toro was in line to direct it that time you visited Vardine's school. Such a lovely man. Such a great man. But first of all, I'm going to review Last Christmas. Now, there's a great big story in history behind this. Uh, my partner, Laura, said, I want. I think that you should do something different. I said, I oh, know, I need to do something different. Sh- um, shift it. Do less transgressive stuff. Like, you know, this, this podcast is a place where it's not a specified thing. There's not certain pop cultures or trends or tastes that I um, review or talk upon. I'm not like, I'm just going to talk about arty farty things. I am a connoisseur of everything film. I love film. And I want to just do reviews in a traditional sense, but it centred more on the reaction upon me. But I said to her, I want to do something special for Christmas. I really want to do something special for Christmas. What if I watch one of the most sweet as cinnamon... um, One of the uh, sweet as cinnamon... Christmas films out there and going. Not that. Not only that. What about one of those terrible television movies that are so sweet, so terribly made, so poorly acted, alongside with a cheap 50 pence Mills and Boone style Christmas story from the works, uh, and do the most positive, most sweetest sin review, almost a faux review, where I'm like, oh, you know, this book has changed me. This book has altered me and really I wanted to mess with the audience in a weird social experiment in a lot of ways like I really really fucking wanted to mess with you where kind of have my audience or who listens go what what, what am I listening to like what, what is he going on is, is he has he had a change of heart is he has a bloody 50p 25 cents novel and a Christmas movie from television really altered him where at the end I'd go and I would have said that if I actually fucking enjoyed it. And there was this great big, like, build-up and process and uh, creative, almost experimental, um, faux movie review, faux enthusiastic thing just for what the kids say. Shits and gigs. But last Christmas, the trailer came out and I was like, ugh, it's got Henry Golden, the man who everyone melts over. Amelia Clark. ugh. Another person that people melt to. 
The only appeal was it had George Michael's uh, music as the basis, as the the connective tissue, the reasoning, and I am a huge George Michael fan. I love his music, and even paired with Wham, he was one of the most greatest musicians and singer-song artists of uh, my mum's generation and my generation, and I grew up loving George Michael. His music means a lot to me. It's emotional, it's resonant, it's playful. And in a lot of ways, it is an experiment upon where George highlighted certain facts and world-renowned media street, uh, you know pieces of his life it's segregated pieces in his life that's been perpetuated and exacerbated and really almost uh evolved into fictional uh you know darkness like a lot of his actions as a alcoholic a drug user his weight dipping and swerving uh, the media really vilified him, and George Michael was probably the most sweetest, most kindest, most giving, most generous person. He had his demons, but he kind of never could have... It was that bad boy image uh, 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 juxtaposed with the good boy Prince Prince image. He could do no wrong, the good boy image, and he just had a very hard life. As much as there was fame, there was fortune... There was a lot of darkness in him, and you can feel that in his music, but also a playful streak where he took a song called Outside, and he used a, uh, the toxic headlines that kind of tried to run his name into the ground, and he made a beautiful, hilarious, pop aesthetic, extremely gay and camp song, and as you can tell, uh, I, I in, in of itself could warble on, like I think that I could... I think this is where me and Deadpool would be very good friends. We would uh, be sitting here listen, listening to um, George Michael together and just pontificating and fantasising about our own interrelationship with him, probably sexually as well as uh, emotionally. But I've just given it away. I have a thing for George Michael, but sadly George isn't with us anymore. But that was the, re- the real crux of why I wanted to see it. And I thought last Christmas would be the most perfect... Uh, film to go and see because it's sweet as cinnamon and I had no expectations I had a little bit of um, a wee little seedling of optimism because of Emma Thompson's engagement a beautiful human being actress, creator uh, activist rights activist, just a great person and a great comedic actress and just a talent and a round, rounded person, you know, Emma Thompson has her own style of performance and a lot of comedic actors have that, but also she's a very serious actress as well. But there's this inherent Britishness and this sense of playfulness in her scripts, in her performances that, you know, even if she's not involved creatively, as ingrained as she is with this, if it's just a a, a a paycheck film, she injects and infuses it with her sense. She's playful, she doesn't take herself seriously, but when she needs to, she can, it's just a snap and she can go into a whole plethora and a whole variant of avenues of emotion. So I went to see this hoping in a little weird way and expecting it to be a two star, one star film and I was going to positively review it and then ultimately at the end go, ha ha ha, only joking, it's shit. Well, 
Fool Me, because Last Christmas is perhaps my favourite film of this year. If not, it will live on for many generations ahead to be their go-to Christmas movie. It's a fantastic, emotional, resonant film that though critics are looking over their glasses, sneering at it, picking it apart on a filmmaking level, these films aren't made for critics, aren't made for critiques, aren't made for evaluation. They're made for the mass market who need to escape from their times. We need a little bit of happiness. We need a little bit of resonance in the dark days with what is happening internationally, universally. We are at a point where we need a little bit of love. And also, materialisms, commercialisms, the capitalist ideal of what Christmas is now, it's lost itself. And though there is that aesthetical sheen as the exterior, as the cosmetic look, I think there is almost a meta-commentary and not a meta-commentary in that offhand, jovial, joking way. There is a meta almost running social commentary that you may have all these gifts and maybe the gifts and the lights there's a lot of people disenfranchised by the emblem of christmas because of that fact but there's something at the heart of christmas which is family which is doing good by others good deeds and it's a film that personifies that in so many avenues emma thompson infuses this film with i wouldn't say her politics but her beliefs and her passions dealing on crisis issues brexit implementations that are happening happening societally here but also the human condition and she does it in her joyously creative way with the script a story that both her and greg wise her husband had uh, came up with and also the film doesn't feel as if it's predicated upon just michael's george michael's music it's not something that you're writing around the songs the songs are the stories themselves and editorially and intermaterially with the movie they are combined and mixed in because that it, it exemplifies that scene and what the characters go and the music is the extension of the characters here and the story is one that i don't even feel that i can go into without spoilers because the the real big crux of the story is it as a whole product the the the, the, the whole encapsulation is the relationship and the end result and the ever-growing relationship but henry golden in this movie is charming wistful fantastical he is the emblem of the perfect man but not in that cringe way but in that naturalistic way he's kind he's understanding and he's guiding amelia clark's character off and on he's given her enough room that she can evolve amelia clark is this young disenfranchised young woman who has just come from a, a place of darkness where she nearly lost her life and she is now just living her life to the full sleeping in bed one night stand uh ruining every good relationship around her she's basically being implosive and self-destructive with her selfish ways it's about discovering yourself realizing that those fat factoids and points and issues within your family hierarchy and that structure may annoy you may piss you off you may disagree with but they are your family and then when you one day lack them and you will not have them you will miss those certain aspects of them so much more than when you know you would deem that your mother was lovely because she gave you this that day it's not about materialism it's not about the cosmetic nature and aesthetic of christmas it is an emotional film it is about emotion it's about human contact the human condition interrelationships socializing it is such a strong powerful film that talks on many topics within England within the universe it's hilarious it's astute it's observational observational comedy 
it has a social satire lick while it's also being a beautiful Christmas film. By this point, I was like, I've had enough. We've been listening to Christmas music since the middle of October with the bright lights, and it becomes an oversensitized sensation that by the time it comes to Christmas, you are tired of it, you're exhausted. But this film, as much as it has the lights, it has that beautiful cinematography, and that Paul Feig really captures this world. I feel that it it lends something to the more emotional elements that this is all a front, it is all cosmetic, it is all for show, but it's not just imbued with that, don't view it as that, it's just a substructure in and around the values of Christmas and that is happiness, that is goodness, that is being good to each other and it is such a powerful and emotional movie, it's hilarious, it's intimate, and it really captures something. It captures something that a Christmas movie hasn't, because Christmas movies fit into that bill. Though they try to be as genuine and open and honest and thorough about the soul and resonance of Christmas against what Christmas is now. It's about making money, selling money, proving worth, proving love for how much, how many gifts and how much you are given over to people and give to people. It's not about that because it's very disingenuous a lot of the time. Even the Grinch film last year, it was all very cosmetic. And even like the real resonances of what the Grinch was as a story lost it. There's always that cosmeticity, if that's a word, that is that asceticized thing. It's overly sensoriumized. It's sensoriumized. That's a word I've come up with. It's just too much, but this film injects something. It injects the reality and truth of what Christmas means, and it lends something to that Christmas sheen. You hang up lights and put Christmas trees there to make yourself feel that warmth, whereas the warmth comes from these characters, the amazing performances from Amelia Clark, Henry Godin, and Emma Thompson, and all of the co-stars that are amalgamated in here. Everyone has a place in here, even with a weird cameo with Sue Perkins and a few others. There's so many great sequences. There's two police officers who have a real on-screen chemistry. One's one of that dead, stoic, straight-faced person, and there's a huge joke about even when she says Merry Christmas it's as if she's uh, interrogating one up on a murder charge it's just so funny Michelle Yeoh as Santa who owns her own Christmas shop where Amelia Clark's character Katerina uh, works it's just a beautiful film but with that aesthetic and that look it looks like one of your cliche Christmas movies it does have that semblance that jo- that that jovility that happiness but it lends Nothing on an aesthetic level, the emotion is there, and instead of this movie being a Christmas movie because of the music it uses and because of its sheen and the classic greens and reds and golds and bright saturated colours and the lighting and the neon aesthetic and just... It's all subpar at the end of the day, but because it's about those emotional characters, it's a beautiful and real intimate detailed experience it's so affecting it's so emotional and it imbues you with a little bit of faith in humanity it shows the bare aspects of humanity and what it means to be a good person it gives christmas its whole real reason it personifies christmas most beautifully and most perfectly than any movie has done in the last 10 years it's about bonding reaffirmation building bridges not for just just in, in disingenuous um, asides, but because that's the meaning of it. Love, empathy, sympathy, emotive. And the film is just beautifully filmed. The actors are given room to just perform, and it's just 
cuddly. It is sweet as cinnamon. It may look cosmetically like your cliche Christmas movie, three-star film or one-star film from the critics. But I think the critics are just really homing in on the wrong thing. Some critics have been positive, others haven't. But this film isn't based or centred upon critic, critical love. It's about an audience. And I think this film really shows something rare within a Christmas movie. It's a genuine heart. It's truthful, it's purposeful, and that is why I am giving Last Christmas five stars. It's one of the greatest films I've seen this year. It emoted so much from me. The story, the messages, the metaphor, the symbology, and the binding of George Michael's music that lends resonance to certain beats and character arcs instead of it being a, a almost, you know, jukebox of his hits. So Last Christmas gets five stars. I recommend you go see it. Please do, because... It will infuse you and you cannot fight it. It will infuse you with the value of Christmas. And I want to partake of Christmas because it's about family, friends, emotion, and just having a bit of happiness and having a little bit of faith with each and every one. And that, you know, last Christmas may have not lived up to your expectations, but we're going to have many more last Christmas together as long as we are together as a world, as a society, as family, as friends, as brothers, as sisters, as grandchildren, as grandparents, as aunties, as uncles, as partners. This film is divine, absolutely divine. And I really want you to watch it because I'm not someone who likes Christmas. I feel it is, (coughs) excuse me, commercialized. And this really takes it on another level it may look on the outside exterior with the poster and the execution and the trailers and how it's executed and filmed and how it is so factored in on that aesthetic and design and build up and encapsulation of christmas through lighting and through set dressing but that has been imbued now with a sense of reason and a sense of place because it adds to the overall aesthetic and overall emotion and effective feeling because it is an emotional movie. It is about Christmas being about Christmas, about the real ideals and form, whether you're religious, whether you take it as, you know, gospel. Christmas is lived on as many things. It's more of a cultural thing. It's something that can be studied upon and warbled upon. But I feel that within cinema, it's disingenuous and it perpetuates the same issues with Christmas films and Christmas in general. And this just infuses Christmas. And at a point in life and society that we really need a good laugh, some reaffirmation. And just like what Paul Feige replied to me on Twitter when I told him I loved it. He said, I, he, I am happy that you garnered happiness from this this is all we wanted was you to be happy and the film does was also talking upon some very topic issues and handled deftly and masterfully by the genius that is emma thompson and paul feig of bridesmaids fame of spy fame i absolutely love spy i like paul feig i hope i'm pronouncing his name right he is a really great director and uh, that again people may argue they may think he's commercial they may think he's uh he's all exterior He's uh, this, that, the other. No, he is a very solid comedic director. Uh, But not only that, he knows how to capture characters and reality and emotion. He's a very good director, works well with actors, comedic, serious. And uh, he's really spread his wings. He's not just this one thing. He's not just the comedy man. A lot of people go, who's the Ghostbusters man who made Ghostbusters female centric? So fucking what? So what? He's not this one thing. Spy is a real lewd, crude, 
out there action spy comedy. You've got Bridesmaids, which is a fu- one of the funniest fucking films that you will ever watch, whilst at the same time having a lot to say about friendship. Paul Feig knows the human condition and he captures it perfectly in his movies, into relationships. Unity, duality. So, Last Christmas gets five stars. So now, let's go on to Review 2, The Good Liar by Bill Condon. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, this is me, D.B. Spitzer, the editor and producer of Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson. Just wanted to let you know that we're hoping to make this a full-time series and not just a backdoor pilot. So if you would like to help sponsor the show, or if you have anything that you'd be like wanting to donate to help the show keep going, let us know. PGTTCM.com and where you can reach Zach is in the show notes and also where you can buy his many books zach ferguson and you can check him out of course on amazon.com where he's got all kinds of wonderful books from dimension horse to what mr wants mr gets all right back to zach so following up with my extremely long and extremely warble tastic and enthusiastic review for last christmas this may be a clipped and abrupt review i was really hoping and almost within myself anticipating this being a really great review and uh the review in question, as uh, latterly mentioned before, is The Good Liar, directed by Bill Condon, starring Sir Ian McKellen and Dame Helen Mirren. Now, what really got me excited is uh, the reunion and the constant um, relationship and building relationship and working relationship between Bill Condon and Sir Ian McKellen, of whom have both worked together numerous times now. Now, Bill Condon is a very extremely... Uh, He's a very interesting filmmaker. He started out in horror with the sequel to Candyman. And then basically found his feet with a movie called Gods and Monsters about the relationship of the director, film director, uh, James Whale. James Whale. And it's a partly fictionalised account of his last days um, alive uh, with his co-star, Brendan Fraser, who plays his... Who plays his uh, gardener, Clayton Boone, I believe his name was. And basically their relationship, and it was an extremely powerful performance from the likes of Ian McKellen. And also Brendan Fraser himself, who's a very underrated actor and performer. He's more known as the action man or bit part comedic performer. But Ian McKellen really, every time I see him leading the charge, being a main star, one of the main names on the title leading his own film gets me excited and condon has done this with uh mr holmes uh about an aged sherlock holmes in 2013 or 14 it was released and since then he's been in bit parts bill condon's uh career has been more notarized much more in his heyday in earlier days as a scriptwriter for such movies as Chicago but he's really found himself his own within the cinematic verse as a director he directed uh, the last Twilight films which for me I, I think are rather decent it's a medley of everything that came before his 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 love for 
character, relationships, but also with a little bit of horror uh, injected into it. And uh, he is his strengths are with characters and development. Though I don't think he has a very directorial eye, he makes good films. And a lot of films that he has, I feel, been subjected to directing aren't so much passion projects. I think the more passion projects stem from his scripts. And the directorial stuff is director for hire, but he still infuses it, infuses it with his angle and his view. And this is very predominant in the performances. And it was just so great to see once again the pairing of Bill Condon and Ian McKellen for a film called The Good Liar. Now, The Good Liar is a story that my girlfriend's uh, mum, Jane, said to me. I said, how was it? And she said... Uh, I really can't say anything without giving it away. I went, ah, so are you telling me that the twist is what ruins it? And she went, yes, but not only that, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it, yes, and that was pretty much it. She's like, I can't say anything without ruining it. And it's the same with a review, but ultimately it's about Ian McKellen playing a fraudster, a shyster, a gold digger, a man who's previously in his life has accumulated enough money from people that he has um, taken advantage of and led to believe that he is this diminutive old man just looking for companionship and maybe potentially love. And then ends up investing a lot of money that he's garnered from other people. He is a tricksy individual. And then much later in the film, it kind of unravels his character. But the, the real thrust and center of the film is he's charming, he's charismatic. Even when he is doing wrong by others, he is a very command. He has a very commanding presence, a very assured presence. And that we're so used to seeing Ian McKellen play these comforting, larger-than-life characters without being overstated or overplayed as the likes of Gandalf but we know he can play villains to a T such as his performance in Apt Pupil and also as Magneto which I think is one of the rarest performances in superhero movies that don't really get as acknowledged as much as others where the performance is assured it's enticing it's intoxicating it's almost a romanticized version of a villain and it's so real and I think that goes down with McKellen's partnership once again with another director, Brian Singer. Brian Singer, of whom I feel is a great director, no matter what's come out in the media, what's been said and whatnot, again, it's back to that case of you can't rewrite history. And I am not opposed to mentioning Brian Singer and my relationship with his films and what I feel he, he is as a filmmaker. And it's much more opinionated and much more affirmed than my relationship with Bill Condon. His films are just films. They're something that to pass the time. But every time a McKellen... Uh, you know, Ian McKellen himself, but a McKellen-type figure stars in their own movie, you kind of have this feeling that it's going to be something special. You're not just going to get Ian McKellen to head this film for any old reason just for his name. As much as it is successful and world-renowned, he's more attributed to those characters as Magneto, but most definitively as Gandalf, and his works attributed in theatre, which is his mainstay and still his main love. But you can tell he's in, he's not in that enviable position where he's stuck between theatre and film. He really fluctuates and really gives his time over to the art form that he loves. And coming to the age of 80, it's so great to see him on fine form. But the issues with this is Dame Helen Mirren and this supposed relationship building, it's very artificial, it's very fake. You don't feel so much coming from Helen Mirren. 
up until a certain point and now I can't really express why that performance was so stilted and why inevitably that distance and that almost artificiality it ends up ultimately working but it's to do with the twist and that makes this film maybe you know the ending is a hodgepodge of contradictions Overall, it shows that the performance was specified to be artificial. It's specified to be like that for the final twist. And it shows that Ian McKellen is so suaved in his own machinations of uh, being a liar that he can't see the truth in front of his eyes. And now that's not me giving much away to the twist, but it gives the artificiality of her, her performance something else. Like that love is not felt. And it really plays off of each other, but then the end twist, it ultimately makes you view McKellen's character that you're so in love with and so enticed by and so, you know, in love with the villain. You're in love with this bad boy, this old todger who's doing wrong, but you can't help but be swelled by it and motivated to like him and the audacity. It's we love an underdog, but we also love a villain, especially when they're on fine form. So... The ultimate ending, it, it stales your relationship that has been built between you and McKellen. Now, this film is your standard, almost mediocre, go to the cinema. Yeah, it was alright, but there's some sequences. One where is finely paced and cut, like all great thrillers, but with something more, something more noiristic, a modernist, noiristic, espionaged, edged, uh, almost World War, aestheticized peace in the London Underground. Now, there are some moments of real harrowing violence, but then it's just juxtaposed with a almost plaintiveness that it really unbalances it. And the greatest corruption to the overall structure is the twist, because it ruins your relationship with the main leading actor. And it kind of sacrifices everything that you've built with him. And maybe that is its overall intent and its intention. And that's what gives it its layers and its denser meaning but it kind of dropped this film from a four star film to a three star film but The Good Liar is a well paced interesting film with great performances from Russell Tovey even Dame Helen Mirren who I think is so breezily cruising through her career but then again her performance in the likes of Hobson Shaw and Fast and Furious is up there as you know the most meta most obnoxious most self-aware performances and playful that she's ever been and McKellen is on fine form and I just really hope that him and Condon find a project together that really focuses solely on McKellen I know that they try to do this with uh, Mr. Holmes but it just it lacked something it lacked a certain essence I know Condon has a capability within himself to make a pacey extremely relatable film through edit and cut and atmospherics more so than his usual dependency upon character development and the strength of the script and I think that I would like to see Bill Condon working off an original idea crafted by himself a passion project rather than something that's been passed along to him and he goes I can try my hand at this and I would like to work with this with my dear friend McKellen and also another actor who really shines for me and I utterly loved in this film was was Jim Carter, uh, more notorious for his performances, his performance in Downton Abbey, but also as that real hyper 
robo dimension suffering butler from Transformers The Last Night. <laughs> Sorry, I just threw up because that is Michael Bay's worst film and he ruined his own Transformers series. But anyway, Jim Carter and his relationship with McKellen is so... It's just so cheeky, it's so naughty, and it's so realistic, and it's so relatable, even if you are a shyster or an arsehole or a con artist, you just see that inter interrelation and interrelationship and the relatability that you you see that they've been friends for a long time and they're working on certain tableaus of form that they have a second hand type thing it's all second hand like one could start a sentence and the other could finish it they're on that wavelength and i think that's a strength in their performances two very strong performers but the film it is uneven, disjointed, the ending kind of throws your interrelationships, the characters, fuss introduced, specifically McKellen's. But overall, I think it's a finely paced movie. It's slow burning, and when there is an injection of violence or brutality or shock and alterations and narrative twists and turns, it does have its overall effect, and I think simmering and sitting up on it a little bit longer, it's really hit, it's hit upon me that it's... It's more attuned and aware of how it's affecting the audience and their relationship to these characters than I first initially uh, came away feeling and surmising it as. But The Good Lie gets three stars and I do recommend people go out to see it purely just to bask in Ian McKellen's and Jim Carter's really great performance. I'd like to see them two working together as well. I'd like to see them uh, possibly on a mo in a movie where they're... they're old, retired, you know, almost thieves and go on a road trip and helmed by Bill Condon. But I'd like to see Jim Carter, Bill Condon and Ian McKellen work together again because there's a there's a naturalism there and a passion there. And, you know, there's certain actors who work together and you, whether for the first time or not, I don't know if Jim Carter and McKellen have performed on stage together, but you can, sell, you can see that there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a shorthand with them. I keep saying second hand. There's a shorthand with them. I must apologise that, you know, there's a shorthand, not a second hand. A shorthand, Ferguson. See, this is the problem with the warbling. The words come tumbling out, and then once they're splayed on the floor, <laughs> like like the alphabetized cereal, and then I'm like, oh shit, I've just used the wrong word and put the wrong word into the wrong placement. <sighs> but anyway, they have a shorthand that, you know, is really unique and very much felt and really pushes and excels this film in another avenue of appreciation and it's something that's getting me really excited but that is me done for episode 9 the next episode episode 10 will be a very special one a near hour where I will be talking upon experimental literature my shorthand, not my second hand, my shorthand with it, my interrelationship with that, my inner subconscious unravelings, how autism and art is one and the same thing for me, how it is the total embodiment and personification of extreme, extreme and truer purposeful expressionism and expressing self, and it will be off the cuff, but whilst also mandated and notated and guided by uh, notations and pieces that I've written for my non-fiction novel Art is Autism, Autism is Art, an evaluation of experimental fiction and literature that made me, which is a book that I've stormed out 
in about six days it's just come out of me and it's probably my favorite piece it's less memoir or pseudo memoir but it's all about what literature means to me and specifically experimental fiction and it's full of essays critique pieces puff pieces evaluations uh, consciousness streamlined whatever feels the need to come out could come out of me on the deepest densest levels and it's reawakened a few things that within myself are extremely extremely dormant but are something that I think need to be tackled so that will be the 10th episode and I, I do apologize on the delay of the ninth episode um, I have been going through some really rough patches of my mental health recently and I've been behind everything but infusing about art and creating art myself and talking upon it keeps me going and with the support of my girlfriend Laura who has been amazing and also to the fans out there or the listeners who have been on this journey with me so far and are fuss enjoying it and also don't forget to check out all the other associated podcasts under Black Cocktails, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, uh, Much Love D.B. Spitzer. Also, go check out David Heath's new podcast. I think that's going to be something that's rather interesting, something that will look really good and sidle up as a double uh, listening experience. Listen to his first, then mine, or mine, then his. Uh, it's really exciting to see what DB is doing, and he is on uh, a whole nother high when it comes to putting out content at the moment, and with the various different people, backgrounds, history, culture, and positionings in life as artists themselves, and the content they're creating for your viewing pleasure. But also, if you are at all inclined, please hit the subscribe button, leave a review, good or bad. It just gives the podcast a little bit of recognition it gives it a little bit of you know oh someone actually you know is infused and motivated enough to react upon this even if it's negative like fuck you you wobbling piece of shit but overall thank you so much um my books are available on amazon for purchase what mr wants mr gets volatile voices volatile universe Dimension Horse and something else will be coming out soon, whether it's a non-fiction one or something else altogether. But I just want to take this time to thank each and every one of you who have stuck with me so far. And it's very, very much appreciated. I hope you're well. I hope you're treating each other as you expect and want from yourselves. And I'll see you next time for episode 10. And then following swiftly from episode 10, I will eventually get onto that human centipede special. The retrospective of Tom Six's The Human Centipede, full sequence films. Thank you very much. Goodbye. It's not a rant, it's Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson. Written by Zach Ferguson, produced and edited by D.B. Spitzer, recorded at Badger Strip Studios in glorious Portland, Oregon. Zach's part is, of course, recorded in Brighton, England. Want to help the show? Go to pgttcm.com. Check out what we've got. Go to Zach's shop uh, on in, in the show notes. Go to Zach's Instagram in the show notes. Find out how to help him out. And of course, Ashton Manor, Darkest Child by Kevin McLeod. So thank you so much and join us next time.